good night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk. I'm Forrest Collins, the founder of the 52 Martinis Cocktail Site, and I'm here to talk to you about cocktailing in the French capital and bring you other small batch food and drink news from France. So I know that some of my listeners are Americans in Paris, or maybe some of my listeners are Parisians in America, or some of them are Americans who would just like to be living in Paris. And um, I think what's even better for some people is the ultimate dream of having a foot in both places. So what is that really like? I talked, uh, I've invited Lisa Baker Morgan onto the show today so we can kind of explore that. Uh, Lisa Baker Morgan has both a law and a culinary degree, the second coming from the Cordon Bleu. She has co-authored two culinary books. She's given class cooking classes in Normandy and, um, and has created the travel and food blog www.chefmorgan.com. Uh, we've got her on the show not just because of her interesting culinary credits, but because of her newest book, Paris Part-Time, which just came out today, basically. And it's uh, it's a memoir about her dividing her time between Paris and Los Angeles. And really, I'd say that's kind of the dream life that most people think about, you know, these these people who do these paraphiles who, who love both places. So welcome so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the show. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. So is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners about what you do about your kind of food, drink, uh, travel life that I didn't cover in the intro? I, th- I think you summed it up pretty well, actually. So I do split my time in between Paris and Los Angeles. Um, I have owned a, a place in Paris since 2011. And before that, traveled back and forth and decided I'm finally going to make my dream of buying a place there a reality. And um I've always wanted to live there full time, but I also have two daughters. So that is why I split my time in between two places because they need to go to school here in Los Angeles. So that's how that all came about. And so when they are not in school or they're with their father, then I am with them or by myself in Paris and then they come join me. So as I mentioned, in addition to teaching cooking classes and writing other books on cooking, you now have this new book coming out. Out, which is exciting, Paris Part-Time, that talks about your life uh, and how you've split it between L.A. and Paris. Can you um, can you tell the readers a little bit about the book and the inspiration behind it? What drove you to write it? Uh, what inspired you to sort of switch from, from writing about cooking to writing about more and about your, I guess, your binational life? I'd love to. Thank you. Um, actually, the book is a memoir, and I did not set out to write a memoir, really. Um, I've always been driven and inspired to write about food and traveling, primarily because it's a joy for me to share the the tastes that I've been able to taste or the sights that I've been able to see. And I so enjoy it when other people do that. So when I'm able to take my culinary research tours, which I call them, I'll go away for a weekend to the Luberon or go to Alza or something and share what I discovered and the people I met. Um, I love to share that with others. I love to read about that from other people. And so what I set out to do was more of that. And a friend of mine said to me, Lisa, you know, 
you're buying this place, you've been looking at all this real estate, a lot of people would love to read about how you do that because it seems really hard yet kind of interesting. She said, you should take some notes. And so I always keep journals when I'm traveling and when doing things like this. So that's how it started. It was actually like a how-to in my experience of looking for and buying a place in Paris. But when it was initially written, it kind of lacked the why of, well, wait a minute, why are you buying a place in Paris and you can't be there full time? So the backstory came and my editor said, listen, you, you we're going to have to talk about, um, you know, why you're doing this and why you can't live there full time and, and what you really intend to do with this. So that's how Paris part time came about, because it can't be full time until the kids get out of school. And there you go. So is the ultimate goal to end up just living in Paris? Yes. Uh, honestly, having a foot in both places is both um, lovely but it's also tiring because a lot of times if I'm doing work here or there, going back and forth, and plus, you know, you, you're maintaining two households, you've got two sets of friends, you've got you know, like you know, two businesses and everything. So it's kind of a lot. So as you know, those of us listening in, we really like to talk about food and drink. So I'd love to explore a little bit more what to you, how you judge a restaurant as being a really good French restaurant. You've got a really nice list of recommended places to eat on your blog. And so I would suggest that listeners go and take a look at that if they're going to be hitting up Paris and they want some ideas for for some really good restaurants to eat in. But what do you think? I mean, I think sometimes it's in Paris, people might be looking for different things. Maybe it's traditional or maybe it's new Paris or they're looking for some kind of a decor or some sort of a romantic idea. There's so much to it. So to get, share with us a little bit what what your, I guess, criteria or how it is that you judge what makes a French restaurant a worthy French restaurant. To me, what makes a great restaurant is not only the food. Uh, and I like... Um, And it doesn't have to be fancy food, but I want a place that really takes pride in the ingredients that they select. I love things that are inventive, but not forced. So, you know, whether it's a marriage like uh, between Korean food and French food, which I love, or even if you're mixing up uh, California cuisine and Parisian food that are too forced. And I want a place that has a nice atmosphere. That is, you know, the staff is friendly, the team is friendly, um, and it's a nice place to go. And it can be very simple or it can be, you know, a place that has plush, you know, uh, chairs and people falling over you. That can be nice too. Um, I think for, you know, first time visitors, I would always suggest maybe to try a mix of different things, try an occasion place. You know, I think everybody should try to have that experience because it is such an experience to have, you know, a big restaurant. And then maybe also try a place that has um, a view, because I think that is very nice, especially for people that don't spend a lot of time there, because Paris is so aesthetically pleasing. Um, and and then to try a little, you know, a little bistro or a little brasserie or something that 
is a neighborhood place. And so I appreciate all of those. Um, I think when I'm there, it depends on who I'm meeting for dinner and where I'm going to be in the city. But I have, as you read, I have a big range of different places that I like. So... What you're saying is interesting for a couple of reasons, because, you know, I think that Paris has really gone through this, I don't know, moment where they are experiencing sort of a new level of cuisine, kind of a, a an updated version of what they're doing. They're not really resting on their laurels. There's also, you know, new chefs coming in from, you know, from other countries and, and kind of adding to the to the culinary spice in Paris. And so I think, um, you know, that gives way for more uh, opportunities for kind of great fusion food and and just something a little bit more fun and new and interesting and hopefully not forced, as you said. So that's it's a really good time uh, to be in Paris if, if you if you like that kind of thing, which it sounds like you do. Also, you know, we're on board with the with the local movement, with the slow food movement, you know, which means that, again, as you mentioned, like things are going to be sort of uh, great and farm fresh and market fresh, et cetera. And I definitely think you are right about trying a variety of different type of places. So do you have some recommendations for our listeners, I guess, if they're first time visitors or new or uh, return? Oh, my goodness. There's so many. So uh, as you said, there's I, it, I know it's such a long list of few. So, you know, a lot of these new, as you mentioned, the these chefs are experimenting. There's a lot of places popping up at the 11th and the 9th. Um, Step Team has always been one of my favorites. I was going there before he got his Michelin star because it's so quaint, so simple, but the food is so good. Um, La Mijaine, um over in the 6th, Stefaniago is just amazing with game and meats, if you like that. If you go over to uh, Rue Palbert, this Bistro Palbert, um, 6 Palbert, um, not far away, there's Pierre Sung, who is terrific. Um, in the first, La Regalade on Saint-Honoré. In the ninth, Belle Maison, um, up in Montmartre, and the Croc Rico is delicious for chicken. I mean, it's really amazing chicken. Um, let's see, uh, Piage is just doing wonders with all of his new restaurants. He took over uh, Le Poule Pot in the first, which is, you know, old time place, but it's got those classic French dishes, which are great. But I love his little uh, clover green down in the sixth and clover grill. Um, so I could go on. You probably were like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's what we love talking about around here. It's always super interesting for me to hear other people's takes on what Paris restaurants they are loving and what's worth visiting. So no, thank you. Um, Also, I was thinking about when you were talking about some of these great spots like Septime and Bistro Paul Bear. They also have really good secondary outposts. So I really like Clamato, which is the seafood restaurant across from Septime. It's, It's by them. But a little tip, you don't have to reserve to get in there. And you know, it could be impossible to get into Septime. So that's good. I also like their Cov Septime, which is right around the corner. And then Paul Bear, they also have a couple little sister restaurants right next to them. They have a seafood one and a more modern one. So there's so much to explore there. So those are great suggestions. Now, not just the food, you know, my listeners like to talk about the drinks. So I understand you have quite a few favorite cocktail bars around Paris. And I would like to dive into that a little bit deeper and find out which bars you like and maybe why you like them and what you recommend that people do. I'd love to do that. Um, and I've learned when I was thinking about the list, I'm thinking, well, I'm kind of a hotel junkie. There's a lot of 
bars that I really love in Paris happen to be in hotels. So Hotel National, I love. It's over on, uh, in the third on Rue Saint-Martin. And they have um, the little bar there and then they have the restaurant next door. Um, but I always meet friends there. The Experimental Cocktail Club up in uh, the second, North of Lyon, is terrific. And they these guys have places now all over Paris, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. They're all over the world. Yeah. Well, I haven't been to the ones all over the world, but I have been to a few. Um, Balligan and the Hotel Grand Boulevard. Boulevard, excuse me. So those are all really lovely. I like the Josephine Bar at the recently redone um, Lutetia Hotel. I don't know if you've been there, but it's very pretty. I don't think so. Which hotel is that again? The Lutetia? It's the old hotel that's down by Bon Marché. I'm sure you know it. It's huge. And they redid it recently, probably about three years ago. And uh, it's an interesting note. It's actually where the Nazis took over and used as their headquarters in World War II. Lutetia. Yes, but you say it much better. You say it like a full-time Parisian. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't how you said it. There's just a little bit of a lag on the recording here. So sometimes it sort of has a little glitch out. And so... I, I can't hear, not because of the way of pronouncing it, but just because I couldn't actually hear the word that you were saying. So you did fine. It's a very pretty room. And if somebody goes there, they should definitely not only um, have a cocktail in the bar, but in the restaurant next door with the beautiful ceiling. It's gorgeous. Um, in uh, Place de Vosges, the Serpent en Plume, the Feathered Snake. I don't know if you've been in there, but... I haven't been, but it's kind of, it can be kind of experimental, no? Yeah, so daytime, it's like a cafe, library. They sell pajamas. I mean, come on, what could be better than COVID-19, right? And then at night, they have, it's just chic. It's like in a cave setting, and the, the setting is just so lovely. With this cave setting, you've got this black and white stone floor, and then these couches that kind of, like a snake, slither around the room. That's really fun. Um, I like uh, La Reserve, the hotel and spa up in the 8th. They have this little bar. Have you been in there? Not for a while. Oh, I love that little bar. It's probably been a couple of years. So if they've done something new lately, I am not aware of it. Yeah, I mean, they, well, they redid it in 2018, I think. But uh, that little bar is so nice. And the team that works there is really lovely. Um, and then, you know, there's, uh, let's see, Hotel Bachimont, because it's next to my hairdressers. <laughs> but uh, I like that little place because you can also sit outside. Um, oh, my goodness, there's so many. And I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a new place. And it's just reopened. I think it just reopened before COVID. Uh, it's called Madame Safati. Have you heard of it? It's a comedy club slash bar. I've heard of it, but I haven't had the chance to go. So I have not been there yet, but it is on my list to do because JR, the artist who I just really admire his work and they were doing um, presentations of the bar and it looks fabulous. So you'll probably be trying it before I do. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe on your next visit, we'll get a chance to jump in and try it together. Uh, But there are a lot of really good bars that you've mentioned on your list. And I agree with you, like a hotel bar, there's something kind of special about a hotel bar. And I don't know what it is. If it's just like the ease of, hey, I can have a few drinks and there's actually a bed that I could potentially sleep in upstairs without having to go anywhere 
Or I don't know if it's just like the romance of like travel and, and kind of possibility. And it just sort of makes you think about voyage and I don't know. And also, I mean, of course, a lot of these hotel bars, they're just really nice. You're going to get really lovely service. And so many of them, the, the decor is just, you know, kind of dreamy and always well thought out. And, you know, when we're talking about these kind of high end uh, luxury hotels or, or the nice boutique hotels, they bring in great designers. So yeah, they're, they're awesome. Now, how do you rate the cocktail bars? Like what is, is the criteria by which you judge what you think is a good one? Um, well, the cocktails have to be good, first of all. Um, and, but I also, I really do like a nice atmosphere. So whether it is, you know, like a nice hotel or it's just a quaint little neighborhood place like the Dirty Lemon over in the 11th. We've been talking about that sh- uh, bar a lot on the show lately. Have you? <laughs> It's fun. Or, you know, the FNTVL, there's, um, there's one, it's not, I believe it's called the lipstick or gosh, what is, I've forgotten. Yeah, it's from. Yep. That's lipstick. It's the one with the dance pole in it, right? It's, it's a really fun one. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I love fun places like that too. Um, just, you know, places where I can hang out with a friend and, and be comfortable. And there's so many to choose from, but it, that's, that's it for me that the cocktails have to be good and the atmosphere has to be, you know, a fun one or a relaxing one, whatever you're in the mood for. I'm going to add service to that as well, especially in Paris, because sometimes, you know, it doesn't always have the best reputation for having the best service. And I think you're going in there, you want to relax, you want some hospitality. So service, in addition to your criteria, I, I think that makes it, I think we've, we've nailed what makes a good bar. I I agree with you. I do. I, I, but I haven't had, I haven't had a poor experience too often. I would say, in Paris, as far as is restaurants. I mean, it's it's been a minority, but definitely, if I were to get bad service, that would, I would not be inclined to go back there for sure. I'm glad to hear that about the service in Paris. Now, speaking, um, I guess, of Parisian things versus others, what kind of differences do you see between the L.A. and the Paris cocktail scene? I imagine that they're probably pretty different. And uh, and I'd be interested in hearing your take on that. Well, definitely. I mean, they actually can't be compared because L.A. is so spread out. Paris would probably be more akin to New York. In L.A., there's really not there's not like an apparel crowd for one thing you know, because it's so hard to get every place. So you don't have people going and, and walking after work to have, you know, a glass or an apparel with their friends. And also when people do go out to bars in Los Angeles, they close much earlier than Paris. Um, so LA really, while there's a few places, maybe downtown or there's some places in Hollywood that stay open later, it's not like in Paris where you can go out until much early, you know, till early hours in the morning. LA is, I would say, much more sleepy <laughs> than, than Paris in that respect. That is a really good point that you bring up about driving in LA. And I think, you know, I don't know if that has something to do with the hours as well, because nobody wants to or should or should be allowed to be in a bar drinking until 4 a.m. and then jumping behind the wheel of their car. And in Paris, you know, it's it's different. It is pretty much, uh, you know, you're getting places on foot or maybe in the metro. Obviously, people have cars because there's traffic. But I think that, you know, here you can pretty much go out at any time of day or night. I mean, you could basically spend 24 hours in a bar if you wanted to. 
too. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it is definitely a different culture. Now, what advice do you have for people? I mean, there's going to be people, people listening to this, just dying to have your life. And, you know, they want that dream of, of living in both places. So what advice do you have for those people who are wondering, can they do it? How do they do it? What's the story? I would say that, um, for one thing, it's doable and don't give up on your dream because it sounds like it's something that's unattainable, but if you do your research and do your planning, you can make it happen. And, you know, not one circumstance fits everybody. So, you know, you may want to buy a place and what size of place do you want and where would you like it? Or do you want to just rent a place? Um, do you want to be in Paris full time? Can you work there or, in, you know, do you want to get in the French tax system or do you want to stay um, earning a living in America, you know, or wherever you're at? Um, and then how much time can you spend in Paris? So you need to do, I would say, just your research about, you know, your living situation and work situation if you're working um, and your tax situation and things like that and figure out what it is that you'd like and then you can figure out how to make that happen. But um, I think the most important thing for anyone to remember is that going from here to there is not a straight line. So do your research, do your planning, you know, but know that there's going to be twists and turns along the way and it may not always, you may not get there in the way you set out to get there, um, but it'll be fine. I do think that's great advice about planning ahead, knowing what you want. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I have a lot of, of people who say, oh, you're so lucky. You live in Paris. You're so lucky. But it wasn't really entirely luck. You know, it took a lot of work and, you know, be, me being very stubborn to find a, a way to live and work here and and stick around. So it's it's not always it's not always easy, but it can be worth it. So, so is your book then not just an enjoyable read, but can it help people kind of guide them on the steps that they might need to take in order to, to make that leap? I think it, and my hope is, I think it does both. Um, the book is broken down into sections. The first part is kind of uh, the background of why it was so important for me to do this and why it was so important for me to do it now. Um, and basically it was because I had two pretty big events happen within a very short time in my life. Um, and the second one really put a fire under my bum. And I was like, you know what? I don't know how long I'm going to be here and I'm not afraid of dying anymore, but I am afraid of not living the life that I want. And I'm afraid of not showing my girls everything that I can. And, you know, I I think what COVID's made pretty clear to everybody is that what happened yesterday doesn't mean that that's what is today or tomorrow is going to look like. So it's really up to us to figure out what we want and to make that happen. Um, and so that's the background of the book of, of why I wanted to do it. And then it goes through searching through an apartment, the ups and downs of that the notaire, um, you know, finding different places, searching in different arrondissements, um, you know, and some of them were just terrible, you know, and I don't know if you had this experience, but, you know, you think, oh, the Paris dream. Well, there's a lot of, you know, it's, there's a lot of different things that go into that. And then 
buying it and then remodeling it uh, and then trying to set up shop there. So it goes through all of that. It's, it does have practical stuff. It does lay it out. You've, there's my to-do list in there when I'm buying a place. So yeah, so somebody could use that. Definitely not easy to find places to rent or to buy in, in France or, or in Paris, at least. That's my experience. And there have been multiple books probably written on the on the subject just because it is so rife with material and just to plug for a, a friend and a previous guest on a few different episodes um david Leibovitz, who uh has also recently written a cocktail book but written many other books and his second to last one was called la Porte, and it was all about his experience uh trying to to buy his apartment in paris and kind of the ups and downs so so bravo for giving us more information and this area where it's obviously needed. Exactly. Exactly. So. so in writing the book, do you feel like you learned anything more about yourself or I guess your approach to living in Paris or this, you know, idea of living in both places? What, what, what did you learn? You're teaching us some stuff with your book. What did you learn in writing it? Oh, that is an interesting question. Um, yeah, I learned that I'm not so comfortable writing about myself. <laughs> First off, I had to, because the book was written quite some time ago, to be honest. Um, and then when my editor suggested going back and adding more personal things, I was like, mm, I don't, you know, I don't know about that. So I learned that it's it's difficult to be vulnerable. Um, and, uh, sometimes that can be very scary. And I also learned that through this experience though, that I gained a lot of, I would say some wisdom and some patience in the whole process with myself also, um, because, you know, in doing this entire experience, it takes, it takes some doing and, um, you know, I'm the type of person who wants to get it done right now, wants to do this. And I learned that it's okay. It's going to happen in its own time and you do what you do and, and just, you know, let it be, do your best and, and let it be. So I've kind of learned all of that in doing this, if that makes sense. It does. It absolutely makes sense. And I think it's great to learn to be a little more patient with ourselves. Now, uh, this is many people's favorite part. So I understand that you have brought us a cocktail of the episode to share and inspire our listeners for something they might make this month. What is it? This one is timely. It is a spring cocktail because right now elderflowers are being picked um, and it's called springtime. So it's very, very easy. You can't, nobody can mess this one up. It is one ounce vodka, your favorite vodka. I use Belvedere, but that's not everybody's choice. One ounce of elderflower syrup and one ounce bonal. And you put it all in an ice shaker and shake it up really well so it's nice and cold and then pour it straight up in a beautiful cordial glass. And it's this wonderful caramel color. And then I garnish it with an apple slice. And it's a little sweet, so if you want to um, make it a little less sweet, then add a little lime juice or um, a Granny Smith apple. That is indeed a nice springtime cocktail. You've inspired me. I'm going to give it a try. And uh, I just want to say thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And hopefully next time that you are in Paris, we will get a chance to do it in real life over a drink. 
I would love that. It's been my pleasure. You have a lovely evening now. So listeners, that's a wrap for this month's episode. And uh, if you want more cocktail talk between shows, head over to 52martinis.com. If you want to carry me around in your pocket, download our iOS app, Paris Cocktails, Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. Thank you to you for tuning in or downloading. Thank you to Lisa for being our guest. Thank you to World Radio Paris for editing and production. Thank you to Sun Little for the music that we use. We will put links to all of this stuff in the show notes. Always, always remember to drink responsibly. And finally, my usual ask, if you like what we're doing, pop over to iTunes, drop a review. It helps other people to discover the show and me to know that someone's listening. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.